Take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As we wait on the Lord Jesus Christ, let's do some more study into what um, at least this passage of Scripture and perhaps some others say about that coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you'll see our focal verses today are 4 through 11. We're really going to get through about 4 through 8. We'll come back next week and really hunker down on the gospel message of verses 9 through 11. But I, I want to read the, the whole passage of Scripture uh, starting in verse 1 because we continue from chapter 4 and uh, the last part of that, uh, which talk about the uh, coming of the Lord. And then going right into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul has more to say, and so do I. So let's read together. You read along silently. Hear the Word of God. Take the Word of God into your hearts and be encouraged by the fact that He is coming again. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for the encouragement of Scripture that comes to us. We thank you that we can come together corporately and celebrate what you have done and what you are doing, and then we look forward to what you will do. We thank you that we can worship you and worship you in spirit and in truth, and then look forward to that day when in a, a moment you will come and receive us, and we will meet you in the air, and, and Lord, um, you will begin that process of eternity that it already has come, but will come in reality in that day. Father, we also right now want to ask you that you would be with us in these days, while you may come back tomorrow, Lord, you've left us here to be faithful as servants and as stewards. And so we ask you that in the next week or so, you would quicken our hearts to do the right thing as we come to a very, very important time in the life of our country. I pray for the vote that's coming up a little more than a week from now. 
I pray that you would help us to know exactly what to do, that we would examine the issues that the Bible speaks to and that we would cast our vote to do the right thing. Oh, Father, we thank you that we can do this because we live in this country. We realize that not everybody has this privilege, this opportunity. And so we pray, oh God, for wisdom and that you would direct us in these days. Lord, now we thank you that we can, can study these things about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would lead us as we do this. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. The Apostles' Creed says a lot of things. We're not going to read the entire thing today, but it says, He, Jesus, will come to judge the living and the dead. Let me ask you a question as we begin today. How many days are left until Christmas? You don't know? Children, you don't know? Parents, do you know? Well, yeah, somebody said a lot. If, if you're a kid, it is a lot. It feels like a lot. If you're a parent, you're saying, oh, no, it's right around the corner because fall fellowship is coming and then our Thanksgiving season. And 67 days from now, Christmas is coming. I heard a moan. Get ready. How many days are left until Jesus comes back? Wow. Some people say a lot. We'll talk about that verse in just a minute, sometimes to get us off the subject. But listen, and by the way, we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today. We're actually going to have charts. You know, last week I told you that as we were studying the different views of end times, no charts. Well, today I've brought charts. Now, I don't expect that you can get down all the Scriptures or write in detail the charts. So, if you want those, I'm just telling you up front that you can email me, e email the church, and I will send you the PowerPoint that has all of the Scriptures, the charts, so that even if you don't know exactly what you can believe, you can see what others have said about it. But let's get back to this thing about Jesus coming. Look, the Lord Jesus told us in Scripture. He told His disciples, and by by extension, he tells us, he said, you can be assured of this, that I'm going away. I'm going into heaven, the ascension of Jesus Christ. And it'll seem just like a few days that I'm going to come back and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then some angels got into it. Do you remember that? In Acts chapter 1, the men of Galilee were watching after the ascension of Jesus, and the angels came, and they made a very important statement. Look, they said, you see how he's going up? He's going up into the clouds. I can tell you that he's coming in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The writer to Hebrews says this, Christ was offered as a sacrifice once for all for sins. And we get to celebrate that with the Lord's Supper today. I'm excited about that. But He will appear a second time. And then in kind of a long verse, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, I want you to see this, though, that the grace of God has appeared. Now, I love this verse for, for a lot of reasons. 
And you probably ought to study this verse because it says salvation has come to all men. And then that salvation doesn't just save us from our sins. It teaches us how to live godly lives, righteous lives, as we wait for what Paul calls the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, even Jesus Christ. Now, we said last week, and, and we had the corporal's guard last week because a lot of you, a lot of us were out of town for the heritage retreat, but we said this last week that believers, true believers, biblical believers in Jesus Christ know that He is returning. We just don't all agree in the how. I shared with you four different perspectives. I'm going to do that. And again, watch this now. We're going to put up some charts. I'm not going to go all the way through the charts. And I don't even agree with all of the things that are on all of the charts. But I'm going to put them up for you anyway so that we can summarize. Now, the one thing that I don't want to do is misrepresent. So I'm going to be brief as we go through these. And we don't want to mischaracterize, I already told you last week, which view I lean toward, but frankly, I see things about each view that to me personally are attractive, if you've studied these. And I also see things about each view that cause me to question those views. So let's just run through them very quickly. I know you can't see all of those little words, but if you'll go all the way over to the left, the church age, and then you see that circle up there, Christ is coming, but look at it, it's fanned out because this is the, let me see if I can get this right, dispensational, pre-tribulation, pre-millennial view of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just parenthetically say that each of these views, and particularly the dispensational and other views, by the way, that are all millennial, okay, They're, they all believe in a millennium just differently, that these have a different way of seeing a lot more than just the second coming, okay? Just throw that in there. And you know that if you've studied these at all. But here's the basic difference that, that we will see just coming out of this, that Christ is coming in a, in a way, in two different ways. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But you'll see the rapture precedes, and then there are seven years of this thing called tribulation, and then the Lord comes back, sets up the millennium, and then after that, well, there's some things that are happening during that time, but after that, Satan is loose, the great white throne judgment comes, and then we're ushered into the eternal state. So that's the dispensational, pre-tribulation, pre-millennial rapture view. Okay, did you get all that? Did I get that straight? Okay. This view really came into prominence in the 1800s. Not that it wasn't totally unknown before that, but really it came into prominence in about 1830 and then really through the C.I. Schofield reference Bible in about the late 1800s, about 1870, 1880. And some of you grew up, you cut your teeth on the Schofield 
reference Bible, didn't you? So this is probably your view. This is the majority view of conservative evangelical Christians, just not all. The next view is the oldest. It's called the historical, not the hysterical, the historical premillennial view. Now, the big difference between this, and again, there are some uh, differences in translation. Could I use this word? Hermeneutics, the, the, the way that we interpret Scripture. But the basic difference that I want you to notice here is that the coming of Jesus, the rapture of the saints, and His coming to earth are all one event, and it's after the tribulation, meaning that saints will be a part of that thing called the tribulation. Millennium is viewed probably pretty much the same, a literal view, a literal thousand years. Satan's loosed, great white throne judgment, then the eternal state. Have I lost you yet? Okay. Here, here is a, a third majority view. These are the four majority views. And by the way, there are all kinds of offshoots of all of them. But unless you've studied this before, it might be good to have some of these charts in front of you. This is called amillennial. Awe in the Greek means not. Doesn't mean that they don't believe in a millennium, but they just believe that it's a symbolic thing, a long period of time, and that we are in the millennium right now. So, the second coming of Christ is just that. He's coming again, boom, and setting up the eternal state. We slide right into it. The last view used to be very, very popular, and it's lost some steam, but there are still some very, very good people. By the way, very good and very godly people hold to all four of these views. This is called the post-millennial, again, a symbolic view of Revelation 20, the thousand years. We are in that now, but the preaching of the gospel continues to convert, and more and more people, as the kingdom comes in, become Christians. And one of the things that they also believe is that society will get better, and Christians are a part of that. One of the responsibilities is to make sure that Christians are involved in making our culture better. And then the Lord comes back, and boom, eternity ensues. So which one are you? I shared last week that I probably would lean toward that second view called the historical premillennial view. Again, I find things that are attractive about all of them, but let me just walk you through. I grew up just like many, many of you, and the first view, the dispensational view, was what I, again, cut my teeth on. I actually, in college, at the University of Arkansas, in speech class, after really getting on fire for the Lord, we were to do a speech, and guess what I chose? This is a secular university. Guess what I chose to do my speech on? I basically borrowed from Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth, and I gave a speech on the coming of the Lord and spelled out that dispensational pre-trib rapture view. The comments were interesting. <laughs> I've studied some. You may not agree with this, but let me point out a couple of things that at least questions that have come up that, that I... 
that I had to ask, particularly if you look back, do you, do you remember uh, last week and a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the Lord descending and that we would come up to meet Him in the air? I ask you to go back and look at that in your, in your spare time, not here right now, but is there anything within that text that demands that when we go up to meet Him, we go back into heaven? Or is the context and the language and in other places where it's used, perhaps going to meet Him has a different kind of meaning altogether? See, I, I, I'm not sure. People have asked me, in that view, the majority view, is Jesus coming back twice, first to get the saints and then another time? Well, the Bible never indicates anything but one coming. Or is that just a, he's coming partially and then going back up into the heavens? Uh, for someone who flies, maybe a touch and go and then a full stop. Contextually, the only two places, let me show you something, the only two places where that word meet is used, exact same concept, are these two places. Look at it. Oh, let, let me uh, just, these are other verses, by the way, uh, that, that give you, I'm going to skip over these. I had them all listed eight times in 1 Thessalonians and at least five times, six times in 2 Thessalonians we find that the second coming of Christ is mentioned. I'm going to skip over those, and we're going to go to this one. Okay? Here's the context of this. The bridegroom is coming for his bride, and the bridal party goes out. Because There are some, some other parables, teachings of Jesus that are connected to that. But essentially, what they're doing is going out to meet him to accompany him back to the wedding. All right? That's the picture. And that's clear. There's another use of that word meet that's found in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we will meet him in the air. The brothers there, when they heard about us, this is Paul when he's on his way to Rome, and the delegation comes out from Rome to meet him and then to invite him, and he comes back into Rome with them. That is how I view 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, that when he comes, we are going up in the air to meet him and welcome him as he comes back to earth. That's why I take a post-tribulation view of the return of Christ. Well, let's also talk about this word, tribulation. Okay, because some people will say, now the word tribulation, that great tribulation that's coming, will believers go through that? And, and people who believe that we will not, they use several different verses, and I've, I've read those. But let me just, again, do a little word study on the word tribulation. That is used 55 times in the New Testament, and three of those specifically refer to the great tribulation. Let me show you those. Matthew 24, 21, he says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred on the earth. If those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. But now watch this. In all three of these verses, there's something that is there that maybe you haven't seen before. 
during this time of great tribulation, it says, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. However you want to translate that or interpret that, believers are going to be there for the days to be cut short. Let's look at another verse, verse uh, 29 and 31 out of Matthew 24. Now, look at this. This obviously is referring to the great tribulation. A lot of signs going on there. Everything is being shaken. And then we find these words, and he will send out angels with a loud trumpet call. Does that refer to what's happening in 1 Thessalonians 4? It, it could, because the angels come out. There is a trumpet call, and they will gather his elect, because they are there, there during those days. One more verse, Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and, and, and he's talking about the tribu tribulation here. Who are those clothed with white robes? Where have they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. In an obvious language that refers to believers in Christ, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, let me be clear on something because... I think this is very important. People sometimes will ask about that time of tribulation. Will believers really go through it? Wrath will never again be poured out on any believer. Do you understand that? And that's, that's the problem that people have. Well, believers won't go through the great tribulation because wrath is going to be poured out. You are absolutely right about wrath being poured out, but on non-believers. Hasn't God always been able to protect His own? What about Israel in the land of Egypt? Did they, did they have any of the plagues fall on them? No, because God protected them. Believers will go through tribulation, but folks, believers will never go through wrath. And here's why I say this. One of, one of my questions, and this is just a question, okay, that, that caused me to start to, to think about this. I am fearful, at least in part, that with some, with some, not all, I hope you're hearing me, there could be an escapist mentality of we're not going to go through the tribulation. Whew, boy, glad we got to escape that. Throughout the Scripture, and particularly in the New Testament, both Jesus and Paul taught clearly. I, I'm, I'm just showing you a couple of verses. And Jesus said this, in the world, you have tribulation. Believer, as long as you're here, you're going to have tribulation. Not wrath, but tribulation. But take heart, he says, because I've overcome the world. And then Paul, I've always been stunned by this verse. Because here's Paul, he's a church planter. He has gone out on the first missionary journey. He's planted churches. And how is he going to encourage them? He's coming back through. He's just been stoned in Lystra for his faith, left for dead. 
So he goes into the churches that he's gone through where a new church has been established, and what does he do to encourage them? He says, look, guys, I'm going to tell you this, going back to the words of the Lord Jesus, that it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Believer, write it down. You and I will never be spared tribulation. Now, I know that in our Western culture, we have been to a large degree, but step back and look around at the world. Next week, we're going to pray for the persecuted church. And there are believers that are being persecuted. They're going through incredible tribulation. And here's the hope that we have, that in the midst of the tribulation, God will deliver our souls, maybe not our bodies, but for sure, He'll deliver our souls in the midst of tribulation. One more thing that I want to say going back. By the way, all of this is under <clears throat> the review portion of your notes. We've only got two points to go through today. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But these things, by way of review, we touched on them last week. This is important. <clears throat> what about the, the obvious reference that the Lord is going to come like a thief and that um, it's going to come in the way that a pregnant woman goes into labor and has, gives birth to a child? Here's basically what he's saying. It's not secret. We, we've said that for the last two weeks. The coming of the Lord, we see it from this passage, is not secret. It's going to be a loud event. I mentioned last week that can you imagine that the graves of the bodies of the dead who are in Christ from all ages are going to burst open? Their bodies are going to go to be joined with the Lord and given their their, their brand new glorified body, I, I don't see how worldwide with all of the graves that are there that that's going to be an event that's going to go unnoticed. Quite the opposite. So what does it mean that the Lord is coming like a thief and, and it'll be like a pregnant woman in labor? The whole thrust of this, it will catch people off guard. But which people? Not us, because it specifically says that we are not going to be caught off guard. Specifically says that. It's the unbelievers. And while people are saying peace and safety or peace and security, this is not, in my study, this is not a reference to the political or economic situation it's a reference to what the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel were saying when they were pointing to false prophets saying something like this to Israel. They knew, the false prophets did, they knew that the judgment of God was coming. But what did they tell the people of Israel? And what are false prophets telling us today? Yeah, the judgment of God is coming, but relax. It's going to be a while. You, you don't have to really worry about it at this time. Just relax and take it easy. There's peace right now, and there is safety or there's security. 
Are false prophets saying the same things today? Well, according to the Apostle Peter, they are. Scoffers will come. And they'll say things like, well, where's the promise of Jesus coming? I mean, look, it's been 2,000 years since it was promised that He would come again. Jesus' parables of the workman who, the, the, the boss who left and left his workman there, and, and he basically caught him by surprise. The, the five foolish bridesmaids, you remember them? They were caught off guard. Have you ever been caught off guard with a sense of judgment coming? I mean in life. It doesn't compare with what's going to happen for unbelievers. Now remember, we know. Paul says it specifically. I hesitate to tell you this. When I was a senior in high school, my parents went on a week's vacation with my two younger sisters and left me there alone. I was a responsible young man, so they thought. Was working, doing things that I needed to do, showed up at work, worked, went home. The one instruction they left for me was, Marty, you can have a couple of your friends over. Now, how many is a couple? You can have Steve and you can have Earl. But don't have a party. Like parents who are wise, they know what they're talking about. Well, I made it through the week, but on Saturday night, I told Steve and Earl, my two good friends, hey, come on over, just going to watch TV and kind of kick back, and the word got around. Marty's parents are out of town. Let's go have a party. And before I knew it that night, what, what do you do? I mean, what do you do when the people show up and leave. I wasn't that mature, I guess. And so there was a party at my house. And listen, the light was was broken. Just things happen. Things happen that you don't expect to happen. And, And because some of my friends brought things to drink, there were Coke cans and there were beer cans and And I thought to myself, well, my parents aren't coming home until tomorrow afternoon. That's what they told me. I'll clean it up in the morning. I even went to sleep in their bed. So I'm sound asleep. The next thing I... And have you ever had this surreal feeling like this is really not happening? Listen, second coming, I I think for all of these people who are totally unaware, but I had this surreal feeling because my mother was looking down, it was morning time, and it, that was the first time I ever heard my mother cuss. I'm serious. Sweet, sweet lady. She was so angry with me. And she said, I got into the house first, and I picked up all the cans and put them in the trash so your dad wouldn't see. I can't remember how long I was grounded. 
But you know, COVID was nothing. I, I practiced for that. <laughs> when the Lord comes, there's going to be a whole lot of people, the, the children of darkness, peace and safety. You've got time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get your life right. But just, you don't have to right now. You can relax. That's what the false prophets are saying. They've been saying it for years and years and years. Do you think that you're going to escape the judgment of God? And by the way, you're not going to have a mom to run interference for you on that day if you're outside of Jesus Christ. Only one can run interference, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at these verses. Two, two points that I want to make, and we'll have the Lord's Supper. Look at this, verses 4 and 5, and, and I, I want to go back and, and read these because these are, these are so, th this is so important, and I'm not going to near get to what I really would like to get to in this particular area. Verses 4 and 5, this talks about our identity in Christ. Let me say something. It's later on in my notes that I'm just going to go ahead and say it now in case I forget it or overlook it. What we need to really stop doing is trying to figure out the identity of the Antichrist. We need to start looking at what God says about our own identity in Christ. Because you're not in darkness, brothers. Why are you not in darkness? Because you're not of the darkness. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all, I don't care if you're a baby Christian that just became a believer. I don't care what age you are, how mature you are, how much carnality you have slipped into that you hate. If you're a true, true believer, that's, that's true of your life. You can you can know that you are a child of light. It says, a children, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. This is an identity statement. It's our new identity in Jesus Christ. How many identities are there? Wow. Our culture has exploded with so much rank error. Everything and everybody has an identity. You don't even have to be born with it. You can make it up. And there are dividing lines. Culture says between identities and cultures and ethnic backgrounds and colors, even the color of your eyes and all of the rest of that. Paul said, you know, if you're in Christ, don't see things like the world sees it. Here's how we look at things now that we are in Christ. From now on, believer, we regard no one according to the flesh. Does that mean that we, I, we deny a person's ethnic background. No, 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 no. It just means that we have a higher source of identity. Paul says if anyone is in Christ, 
He's a new creature. He's a new creation. An entirely new species that has never existed before, at least in your own personal experience. The old is dead. It's passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us that same ministry of reconciliation. And when people start talking about reconciliation, that's the greatest form of reconciliation that we can have. Paul elsewhere identifies the two identities like this. We've gone over this verse before, Romans 1. I'll go back to 21. Verse 25 is really the focus. Although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God. They became futile. The reason I put this here, because I want you to see these are people that are characterized by darkness. They are in darkness because that's their identity They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So there are really only two identities here in this room and and throughout the, the world today. Those who have bought into the lie and they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. But something has happened to us. The, the, the book, First Thessalonians, starts out like this. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. You are, believer, a new creation in Christ. Just like an apple tree produces what? Apples. Maybe it takes a while, maybe they're stunted, maybe they're not as pretty as some other trees, but an apple tree always produces apples, not not the other way around. We don't get our new identity by trying to be something, and then we are. No, in Christ, because we have believed the gospel, we have been transformed, born again. We have a new nature. Every one of you in here today, you're either a, and I I stole this from John MacArthur in his commentary. I thought, and there are a lot of illustrations. You are either a night person or you're a day person. There are only two identities like we talked about out of Romans a few minutes ago. There are night people and there are day people. And that's what he's talking about in these two verses. Now, there are a lot that we could say. I'm just going to give you these references or you can write them down. I gave you these because they talk about the contrast between darkness and light. That Psalm 107 is tremendous. Talks about darkness, but you've been transferred from that darkness. And Paul says it like this, that his ministry was to open their eyes so that they might turn from what? Darkness to light from the power of Satan to God. Ephesians 5.8, you at one time were darkness, not you were in darkness, your identity was darkness, but now you are, what's your identity? Light in the Lord, you're people of the light, you're day people. And then he says something interesting, walk as children of light. Let me give you a statement here, write this down. Uh, students, everybody, write, I'll give you a chance to write this down. You need to understand this. In our ABF class for the last several weeks, 
Jamal and I have been going through 1 John, and, and, and we, we've been talking about this. If you're born of God, your, your identity has changed. Spiritual fruit, if you're truly born of God. Now, if you aren't, you need to go back and do some fruit checking. If there's no fruit, there, there's a problem. But there will be fruit. Fruit is inevitable, but it's not automatic. Do you understand what what I'm saying when I say that? If you're a true born-again believer, spiritual fruit is inevitable, but it's not automatic. That's why the disciplines of the Christian faith, that's why we have these these ministries to help people, to walk alongside people so they can understand who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 6 through 8. Let me finish with this. What's the upshot of this? So then let us not sleep as others do. See, he's saying, let us not. Let us keep awake and let us be sober. By the way, sleep just just is that spiritual stupor. And even as believers, can't we fall into that from time to time if we're not in the Word, if, if we're not obeying the things we need to do, if we're not putting the Word into our lives, can't we fall into a spiritual stupor? Passive? And even sometimes a callous disregard. No preparation. He says, don't get drunk, be sober. Not in control. You see, believer... Darkness no longer defines us. Night no longer defines us. Now, let me say it here because he's alluding to it. The Christian life is a battle, and that's why I love what Paul has said there. Not only those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, drunk at night. Don't be intoxicated by the things of this world. Let it put you into a a, a pattern of disregarding the things of God. But look at verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And, And the cool thing here is that God has given us spiritual armor to help. We're not on our own, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. The breastplate protects the heart. Faith and love protect the heart. And a helmet for what? The hope of salvation. Where do you put a helmet? On your head. It protects your head so that you won't fall into what the world says you need to believe or do. You'll take your cues from the Word of God. There's so much around us that is so subtle. Some of it's not so subtle. Pope Francis, did you see this this last week? There are going to be millions of Catholics by into the air. There will be a lot of Protestants that do too. He declared it's okay. Same-sex, marriage, or, because that goes against some of the teachings of the church, civil unions. 
the same difference. You need the helmet that protects the head and the breastplate that protects the heart against error. Day people obey what God requires out of love. Night people obey their own desires. Day people trust the promises of God out of hope. (laughs) The best night people can do is wishful thinking. Wishful thinking will not bring salvation. That's why the next part I'm saving until next week, it's the gospel hope that we celebrate today. God's purpose, we are not destined for His wrath, but to obtain salvation. We're given the provision that we celebrate today. Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ raised from the dead. We are to remember that. And then the promise that whether we are awake physically or asleep, that means that we die we will live with Him. That's the gospel truth that we encourage other people with. Have you believed in the gospel? Have you seen yourself as a sinner before a holy God? Have you seen that, that, that His only provision is Christ crucified for our sins and Christ resurrected for our life? Have you repented? Have you received the sacrifice of Christ into yourself so that you're no longer a day, a night person? You're now a date person. I hope that you will today. It'd be great if someone out there said, I, I just want to become a believer today, and you can by believing in Jesus Christ. And then I ask you to celebrate with us the Lord's Supper that we're going to take in just a few moments. Let's bow together and let's pray. Those of you who need to receive Jesus Christ, do so right now. And all of us who know Him, we need to prepare our hearts to celebrate and to remember the sacrifice of our Lord. Father, I thank you for the beautiful truth that you give us in your word. I thank you that you help us to understand that. Our our understanding is so limited, just like we've talked about today. And and good people disagree about these, these things. But Lord, the thing that we all agree on is that we need salvation. Salvation has come through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we celebrate that today. Thank you, Lord, that we can do that. Thank you, Lord, that these little elements, this wafer and this grape juice are symbolic of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we remember this and are glad for the gospel. Lord, thank you that you saved us not on the basis of works, but on the basis of grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now help us to remember appropriately. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.